Well, every season of parenting comes with its joys and its challenges. Um, I'm currently, obviously, learning a lot about parenting emerging adults, and it's a it is. Uh, it's awesome to see your kids become themselves and to think for themselves and to recognize their callings. Uh, but it's not a simple and easy task to figure out how to walk alongside them. Um, but I was thinking this week that I would have not enjoyed being my own parent, I think. Um, <laughs> so just for one example of Little Brian is an emerging adult. Uh, so my, my sophomore year of high school, uh, I learned of this opportunity to apply for the opportunity to study in Germany my junior year. And, uh, you know, uh, I didn't speak German, uh, wasn't that interested in being in Germany, but I thought, what a unique opportunity. Like, and, and we know that they were going to choose like a hundred students from the whole country to go be a part of this program. So I figured pretty rare chance that I would be selected. But I thought, it seems like a wise thing to just throw my hat in the ring and see how it plays out. That could be a really important experience for me to have. So one night after dinner, I was sitting at the dining room table. My parents were uh, doing the dishes in the kitchen. And I was working on this application. And my parents look over and see me working so hard on something. And they say, Brian, what are you working on? Ah, nothing. I'm, I'm just filling out an application. Oh, well, what's the application for? Ah, uh, just to study in Germany next year. <laughs> They're like, going, their eyes pop out of their heads. They're like, what? What? Uh, were you ever going to talk to us about this? <laughs> well, I mean, I just figured they're only choosing 100 people out of the whole nation. Like, the chances of me being selected are really slim. So I figured if they actually picked me, then we'd have something to talk about, and we could process <laughs> it then. Oh. You can imagine they were a little beside themselves. And uh, so I was like, so you don't want me to apply? Well, we're not saying that, but it just might be good to let us in and like process some of these big life decisions with us. <laughs> yeah. Um, as I was reading through Isaiah chapter 30 this week, uh, God addresses his people as, and let's be clear, uh, they're not like just innocent, struggling to figure things out so much. I mean, God calls them obstinate and rebellious children. But I, I had this sense that God is relating to his people as kind of emerging adults where they're, they're trying so hard to prove that they've got it all together and that they're as strong as everybody around them and that they just don't need anybody else. And God says, well, but I'm here and I actually made you for a relationship with me. Maybe we should spend some time talking about some of these things together. Maybe you shouldn't be so committed to being on your own, but to trust in me. And so in Isaiah 30, it's another one of those woe passages. We're, we're in a series of them right now. As God says, woe to you, my people, if you continue to turn your back on me 
and do things your own way. God's people were looking all around them at all the other nations, and they were like, we can be as strong as they are. But they also saw the threat of Assyria coming. And they said, well, but we're a small nation, and I don't know if we're totally ready to fight Assyria and win. So what can we do? How can we make ourselves strong? And so they were looking for alliances. And in this particular chapter, in the next chapter too, the thing that God is focused on with them is that God's people on their own have decided that maybe their best course of action would be to align themselves with Egypt. Because they know Egypt has been strong. They were, Egypt enslaved them for over 400 years. That's a strong nation. And to now have them as their ally would be so great and wonderful. And together they could hold off the threat of Assyria. And it's important for us to recognize that God does use unrighteous forces to help protect us sometimes. So the question for us isn't, it's important for us to ask, how do we know that it was sinful for them to turn to Egypt? Well, God says it very clearly in his word. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter, of Isaiah 30, God mentions multiple times that his spirit is not in this that they've decided to do it without seeking his counsel, that they're going out on their own and they've turned their backs on him. And so they're going rogue. And God is calling out to them to say, this is a dangerous path that you're on. But if you trust me, we can get through this. And so there are some important reminders in this chapter for us. We're going to read verses 12 through 18 as kind of a summary of what's in the passage. Uh, and so I'll invite you to turn uh, to Isaiah 30, uh, starting at verse 12, but the words will be on the screen. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you've rejected this message, relied on oppression, and depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will indeed be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. So we want to look at three reminders from this passage today that I think are 
important for us to hear as we take this prophetic message to an ancient people and apply it to our lives. The first reminder is that sin is often more destructive than we anticipate. God says, my people whom I loved, who I rescued, woe to you as you go off on this path and make this alliance with Egypt. <laughs> he lets them in on some things that apparently other nations understood. We get hints of that uh, in the next chapter, I think. Um, but God says, you think Egypt is so strong and you're putting your hopes in this alliance with Egypt, but Egypt just appears to, to be strong. You've known them, you remember them to be strong because they impacted you and oppressed you. And they've kept up appearances of their strength, but the truth is they're weak inside and they're going to fall apart. And when you align yourselves with them, it's just going to be more shame for you. But in, our, in the passage that we're focusing on here this morning, God says, your sin will be like this high wall, a wall of protection, a wall you've relied on, all these things that you're putting your hope in to try to keep you safe, to try to find peace, to fi try to find rest. All these worldly solutions that seem to make so much sense to you as you're trying to prove that you can do this on your own. But your sin is like this high wall. And you've started to notice that there are problems with the wall. It's starting to lean. It's starting to bulge. Some of the rocks are starting to fall out in the moisture. And you've known that there are some issues there and you need to take care of it. But you think that you understand what the problem is. You think that if you let the wall just continue to stand there, that the worst thing that would happen is it topples over, it crumbles a little bit, and there will be nice big pieces that you could still use again to rebuild it. But God says what you don't understand is that this sin that seems so simple to you, it seems so reasonable to turn your attention away from me and toward Egypt. But like this high wall... Your sin is more dangerous than you anticipate. Because when this wall that you've relied on for protection falls and collapses, it's going to take other things out with it. It could crumble people in its path. And you think that there's going to be enough left over. Like you can, you've got your perception of what the future will be, what the possible worst case scenario might be. And you think there's going to be enough left of the wall to do good things with. That you can still manage this situation. But God says your sin is so destructive that the wall is going to be obliterated and there's going to be nothing left for you to do anything with. When this wall that you've relied on collapses, it's going to be utterly destroyed and leave you completely vulnerable and empty. So often there are sins in our lives that we recognize and that we think we have managed. We think we understand the consequences. Oh, it's just a thing I'm doing in the dark all by myself. 
it's only affecting me and I know exactly how to handle it. But we don't see the ramifications for how it affects even the way we relate to other people when we feel guilty about it. We don't see the implications that it's going to have on our relationships or the people that we care about when the light exposes the darkness in us. And we think that we can manage the fallout because we're being so wise about all the things that we're doing, but God says our sin is always more dangerous and more destructive than we anticipate. And it will always leave us in jeopardy. Second, we are tempted to resist God's gracious solution for our sin. Verse 15, we'll look at it a few times. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. It's such a beautiful picture, beautiful imagery. But God says, but you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. We can run faster than our enemy. We can handle this. We know what to do. God has this gracious plan for us. And unfortunately, the most costly part to us is really hard for us to come face to face with. Because we have to admit that we can't do this on our own. That we're not actually good enough, capable enough, perfect enough, or strong enough to deal with the onslaught of the destruction our sin causes. It will leave us in destruction alone apart from the God who loves us and wants to save us. And we're tempted to do just about anything we can other than admit that we are not enough. To say, I'm sorry, you're right, I need you, so often, our sin convinces us to live just like sophomore year Brian, who says, I can handle this. I'm a, it makes so much sense to me. I've got this plan. It's all going to be fine. And I know my parents love me, but I just don't have to bother them with this yet because I can handle it. But I have no understanding of what that says to my parents about how much I trust them. Or, and it puts me in a place of thinking so much more highly than myself than I deserve. Because I actually need my parents who can kind of see how things progress to speak their wisdom and experience into my life. And they might not get it right all the time, but I need that. And more than that, more than that earthly relationship with my wonderful parents. I need that with God. Because he didn't build us. He didn't create us so that we could learn independence from him. That's a human, sinful, 
process toward independence and maturity. But God designed us that as we matured, we would recognize more and more how we were made to be in relationship with him, to trust him, to find ourselves and our identity in him, that with him things make sense and apart from him they don't. But we're tempted to resist his gracious solution for us, to prove that we can do it on our own, and we say we can run faster than anything that comes after us. But what we don't understand is that all these plans that we have to make ourselves feel secure and safe and successful and achieved, they come with a great cost. Because the only true way we get to experience rest is in right relationship with the God who made us. And the only way we can have right relationship with the God we made us, who made us is if we can admit our brokenness and our sin and that he's our only hope. Every counterfeit method that we have for building safety and security around us makes us run like we're running on a treadmill that won't stop. And it gets to decide how fast we go. Every new issue just causes us to scheme and whittle some more. We've got to figure it out. We've got to figure it out. We can do this. We can do this. And we just turn to our own devices and it makes us run and run and run and it wears us out. But we keep doing it because we think eventually we're going to be restful because we're going to feel so secure and safe. But God says nothing you can do on your own will ever lead you to the kind of peace, security, and rest that I'm inviting for you, that, that I've made for you. But you have to trust me. You have to admit that my way is right and your way is wrong. God says that we're going to be so compelled to keep running that as these enemies arise and we think, oh, we can handle this. We're going to just go one step further, one step further, one step further, another mile, another marathon. That eventually, verse 17 says, a thousand will flee at the threat of one, at the, the threat of five. You will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. What that means is that we're going to run and run and run and exhaust ourselves and there's going to be so much destruction in, in the wake of our sin that all that will be left of our visions of rest and peace are a flag we planted on a hill when we gathered our armies and thought we can take this place. But the battle cost all our lives, and the only thing remaining of our hopes is just a flag at the top of a hill left standing there empty with no victory, just as a reminder that we once thought we could do great things on our own. But we will be worn out and destroyed by the race we've chosen to run apart from the God we need and the God who loves us. 
But this is the gospel of Isaiah, and he, our wonderful and awesome and holy God wants us to know that the Lord longs to be gracious to us. It's his desire that even though he knows all these things are true of us, even as he meets us in this moment with the darkness in our lives, he says, I'm the one that you need. Just turn to me. Just admit it now. Because in repentance and rest is your salvation. The only path that we have for achieving the kind of rest and peace we want is through an honest conversation with the Holy God who should be terrifying to us when we recognize the darkness in our own hearts and lives. But he does everything he possibly can to reveal that even though his holiness can destroy us, his love and desire is that we would receive his grace, his mercy, that he would allow, that we would allow him to take on our sin and to release us from it so that we could experience eternity with him. It's a crazy plan. No human being would ever come up with it. It doesn't make any sense to us. Well, I'm the perfect one. I've done nothing wrong. I'll just take on all the costs for your wickedness and say, good job, way to go. It doesn't make any sense. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to us. It's in repentance and rest that our salvation is realized. When we stop running, and we can wait till it wears us, out, wears us out, we can wait and let it destroy us, our sin. But if we hear the word of the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, call out to us, call us by name and say, Stop. Stop your running. Just admit that you can see the truth. I had so many conversations like this with my dad as I was growing up. There was one time we were arguing about the rules of soccer because I had started playing and he knew nothing about it. Uh, but he's an avid learner and he tries to learn things really fast. And I was convinced he was absolutely wrong, and I just needed this to be this thing that I could win. But as I was arguing, and I'm a really good arguer, as I was arguing, I realized that my dad was right, but I couldn't let him have this one. So I convinced him that I was right, <laughs> even though I knew it wasn't the truth. If we do that with God, we're in a really bad place because we're not just arguing about the rules of soccer. We're arguing over what it takes to live forever in the place we were made for. And the Lord longs to be gracious to us. It's his desire that somehow in his holiness even though he's the definition of right and wrong, 
He so loves us that He wants to make a way for us. That it cost Him the life of Jesus. And yet it's so hard for us to just admit that we can't do this on our own and we need Him. And many of us in this room know that we've, we've made that salvation decision. We know that we're at peace with God, that he's, God's going to hold us tight. But it's important for us to know that this is still a word that God spoke to his redeemed people. And they weren't all, they hadn't all turned to him. And he, he, you know, I can't promise if, if the remnant is included in this particular prophecy, but it's important for us as God's redeemed people today to hear this word and say, Lord, search me and know me and expose any sinful way in me that the darkness would be revealed and I could turn from it because if I'm holding on to any darkness, even for a moment, I know it's going to cost more than I realize. And I want you, Lord. The rest of this chapter, the rest of Isaiah 30, lots of it is this beautiful picture that God paints for his people. It says, if you turn to me, if you do repent and you come to me, this is the kind of rest you'll experience. Like, I've got you. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way of walking it. I'm with you. Just keep walking with me. I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. Just keep, yep, it looks like that's a good way to go, but I'm telling you, just stay with me. I will always be with you. He will send rain and allow your crops to produce. He says, your animals will be so well prepared for that they will have a plethora of food. And then there's these passages that still talk about the strong arm of the Lord that destroys the people who are apart from him. But it's important that we recognize that God is giving this description, and in the midst of the description, he says, Assyria is the one who will experience my wrath. God says, don't try to protect yourself from Assyria on your own and then just end up separated from me and destroyed just like them. Instead, repent. And turn to me. I'll take care of your enemies. And I will take care of you. Trust in me. Trust in me. I will be with you always.
to the very end of the age. So as we read this prophecy from Isaiah, so, so old, God inspired Isaiah to speak this to a different ancient people thousands of years ago. But the truth of it remains that our sin is destructive and it's always more destructive than we anticipate. We think we can manage it, but God says it will destroy more than you know how to imagine. We have plans for how we can create security for ourselves. But God says anything apart from him will just leave us empty and vulnerable. It's going to hurt. And that doesn't mean that everything we experience in this broken world will be blissful if we're with him. But in the midst of all the chaos that we fight through, we will have a peace that transcends all understanding because we will know that as we endure, we are held by the God of the universe who rescued us though we did not deserve it. But he longs to be gracious to us. He has plans for us. And he loves us. And so we want to remember and anchor ourselves in the fact that the Lord longs to be gracious to us. And that as painful and hard as it can feel to admit that we can't do this on our own, that we're not enough, it's simple compared to the vast consequences. There's one section in this passage where it says that when we experience the depth and wonder of who God is and what it means to be in relationship with him, to, be, to belong to him, that we will turn and look at the things that we made idols out of and how special and precious and pretty they look. And when we recognize the depth and wonder of what it means to be with God, we will see those things that we made to look so beautiful, that we relied on so much, that looked so strong, and we will just turn and throw them away like gross garbage. Because none of the counterfeits that we can turn to look anything like glory when we see the love and grace of the one true God. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today. Some of us might feel like we're wrestling through some things right now. Some of us might be really at peace with you, just renewed and affirmed that you're the one for us. Whatever it is that we're facing, Lord, we pray that you would help us hear from your voice these truths. We want to be warned about this destruction of sin, this destructive power of sin in our lives. Lord, some of us have been running in lots of ways for a long time. Some of us might feel like we've been running for you or running with you. 
but we're still running because we've built up all these solutions that make so much sense to us that are not from you. Pray that you'd help us hear your voice. Tell us to stop and turn to you. Lord, we thank you that you long and desire to be gracious to us, to give us compassion and mercy. Help us not be afraid of it. Help us receive it by faith. We pray that you would wash us clean in your mercy and strengthen us in your grace as you equip us and renew us as your people. Not the one we used to be, but someone new and whole in you. Lord Jesus, thank you for making all this possible for us. Give us faith to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.